I'm reading this evening from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Our oh, friends, if you were going to meet an important person, a VIP person, if by any chance you know any VIPs, and they invited you uh, to their home or for some important meeting, surely before the time you would take, you would prepare for it. Surely you would make sure your suit is cleaned and your, your shirts are pressed and trousers are pressed and everything is ready for the occasion. And then on the day itself, well, you'd ask your wife maybe, uh, how do I look? Make sure everything's all in place. And she'd brush off all the bits and pieces on your jacket to make sure you, and, and do up your tie nicely and put it straight to make sure you look just right. You're getting ready to meet somebody very important. You can't just amble into his presence just like that with your jeans and your t-shirt outside, held outside. You have to, you know, you have to be properly dressed, you have to be prepared. Or if you're in a court and you're due to appear in court and give a witness and a testimony maybe, maybe it's for your own self, you have to defend yourself. You make, have to make sure that uh, your lawyers have all the evidence beforehand. You'd have to make sure you give them all the testimonies and everything that's necessary so that they can put up a good defense for you. You can't afford to tell them nothing you can't afford to leave them unprepared to defend you. There needs to be preparation made. If you receive a wedding invitation, and it's, the wedding is at, it's outside London, it's a 100, 200 miles away, well, before the event, before the day comes, or a couple of days before, you need to make sure your car, your vehicle, is, uh, is all uh, ready for you for that long journey. You need to fill up. You need to check your oil. You need to check the tire pressures. You need to do all these things because you, the last thing you want is to break down or, or, or on, on the journey. You want to make sure you get there so you don't miss out on that wonderful wedding occasion. Well, friends, it's, that's what we do. Life, we're always in some sense or other uh, preparing for things. And this parable that we're looking at tonight, this parable that Jesus taught, it's the same. It's all about preparing to meet somebody very, very important. Preparing to meet the most important person in your life. Preparing to meet your Creator. Preparing to meet your God. Preparing to meet the one who gives you life. This is what life is all about. And this is what Jesus is emphasizing here in this parable. All of us must be prepared to meet God. We don't know when Christ is going to come. That's why the end at verse 13, Lord said, Watch therefore, for ye know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Christ is going to come back. That's for sure. That's definite. It's going to happen. But we don't know when it's going to happen. The day is hidden from us. The hour is hidden from us. But we have to be ready for it, Christ says. We have to be prepared any time it could happen. It could ha if, we, if we read the previous chapter, and it, 
people there, the Lord compares His second coming to the, to the times of Noah. In the times of Noah, before the flood came, what were people doing? It's not so, so much that they were involved in gross immorality, that was probably happening as well, but they were just eating and drinking. They were marrying and, get, and giving in marriage. They were doing everyday things. And then the flood came unexpectedly and took them away uh, uh, suddenly. Two women shall be cooking, you could say, in the kitchen. And one of them is taken and the other is left. Two men are out in the field laboring. And one is taken and the other is left. One is ready, the other is not. It's all about being prepared. And this is what we're thinking about tonight. Well, the background to this parable, as you can see, is uh, a wedding. Now, I'm not, I have no intention of giving you a lecture on a Jewish wedding and how they are. They're very, it's very interesting, but uh, that's not my intention tonight. But I do want to say just a little bit about weddings to help us to understand uh, this parable. It's plain uh, from this passage uh, that these ten virgins are waiting uh, for the bridegroom. It's evening, it seems. It's it wasn't uncommon for weddings to take place in the evenings and go all the way into the night. And uh, here we have ten virgins, ten bridesmaids. Uh, most likely, they've come from the bridegroom's house. And uh, he's not at the house, but everyone else is there waiting. The bride is, uh, is there, the parents are there, the guests are all waiting. It's only the bridegroom who's not there. And these, the role of these virgins is to go out and to meet the bridegroom, to meet him halfway perhaps, and then to bring him back to uh, the house, to his own house, where the festivities uh, could begin. And that when they went out, they would go out uh, carrying the, uh, their lamps with them. It was not just a, a lamp in the hand, but a lamp uh, with a, on a wooden pole, wooden stick, and they would carry these, so it would act like torches. And they would carry these all the way uh, to give light to the bridegroom as he is returning uh, home. And the, the thing here that is highlighted for us is that the virgins, uh, the virgins have no idea when the bridegroom is arriving, what time he will come. They just have to go out and they have to wait for his arrival. And they had to prepare. They had to think ahead of time and think to themselves, well, we might be here, we might be in for the long haul, so we better make preparations. That's what should have happened, but as we'll see, for five of them, it didn't. So that's a little bit of the background. So let's uh, look at these uh, verses. Verses 1 and 2, the, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. So here they are. They've gone out of the house. They're, on, they're waiting, perhaps on the roadside somewhere, waiting for him to come. They're expecting him. All are expecting him. The wise virgins are expecting him, and the foolish virgins are also expecting him. Well, friends, who are these ten virgins? Who do they represent? Well, that's all of us, friends. All of us are, you could put into that group, the believer and the unbeliever. All of us know in our heart of hearts 
that this world is going to come to an end one day, all of us know in our heart of hearts that one day really we will have to stand before God. Subconsciously, we know it. We feel it. It's God has put that, that uh, into, our, into us. One day, when I leave this world, I must meet my Maker. I must stand before Him. We try and deny it. We try and suppress the thought. We try and uh, turn our thoughts to other things. But it keeps coming back to us. One day, I'll stand before Him as my judge and give an account of my life. I feel it, isn't it? Time, like a force, is dragging me, as it were, all the way to that appointed time with my Maker. And I can't do anything to stop it. It's a force that is more powerful than gravity. I wish I could. I try and stop it. I try and halt it. I try and slow down time, but I can't. It's dragging me towards that appointment with my Maker. We feel it. We know it. And it's going faster and faster. It seems to be approaching slower, quicker than ever. Eternity, friends, is in my consciousness. And this, this in a, so we could say it represents all of us. But perhaps here especially are believers and professing believers. Five are wise, five are foolish. After all, externally, when you look at all these, these virgins, they look the same. There's no difference. They're wearing the same dresses, the same headdress. They're all carrying lamps. You can't really tell. They're all beautifully attired. They're all very pretty in their own way. And you can't really tell uh, what, that, that there is any difference between them. They're all invited to the wedding ceremony. They're all uh, uh, going to uh, waiting for the bridegroom. And so externally, it's difficult to tell. But do you know, friends, as, well as, as, as time goes on, it'll be evident that five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And it, the, the, the Bible says not everyone who says that they are Christian are true believers. There are people even who are not against Christ. We know that there are many who are opposed to Christ and they are militantly opposed to Christ. But there are a good number who are not. They are interested in Christ. They think perhaps highly of Christ. They don't disregard Him. They don't disregard and deny His teachings. They even adopt His teachings uh, for their life. They like Him. They like His example. They like what He has done. They like the sacrifice that He made on the cross. They may even say a little prayer. They like going to church. You don't have to force them to go to church. They like to come to church. And every now and again, well, they say a little prayer. And if you ask them, oh, what religion are you? I say, well, I'm Christian. They will have not hesitate to say, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. And if, you, if a census comes around and they ask you what religion you are on your census, and they put Christian because they think they are. They think they're going to heaven. And externally, well, they look just like true believers. But the thing is, they never really repented. They never really trusted in Christ. They have the external form of a Christian religion and doing Christian things, but they've never given their hearts over 
never had a conversion experience in their lives. They, they have the shell of Christianity, but not the heart. And that's the point that Christ is making here. That's why he says five were wise and five were foolish. These wise uh, virgins, well, they took oil in their vessels with their lamps, while the bridegroom tarried, what, sorry, verse 3, while the foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Foolish took no oil. They just took their lamps and what was left over in the lamps, and they just thought, well, that is going to be sufficient for, uh, for, uh, for, for this uh, for, the, for the waiting period. Uh, the word uh, foolish here, friends, in Greek is similar to our English word moron, and which means to be dull, dull in our thinking, thoughtless in our thinking. And uh, that's what these foolish virgins were. They didn't think, they didn't anticipate difficult uh, cir circumstances. They didn't anticipate a long wait. What if the bridegroom delays? They didn't ask themselves these things. Do I have enough oil to last a, uh, 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 an extended period of time? I have oil that will last me for such and such a period of time. Will it keep, what about if he, he doesn't come in that time? Will, will I have enough? Do I need to take extra with me? Do I need an extra supply? They never thought about it in this way. They just went with that one lamp and all the oil that they had uh, in that lamp. The wise were different. The wise were prepared for that eventuality. They were not caught unawares. They thought ahead of time, we must prepare and we must take extra oil because that bridegroom may delay. So they prepared in advance. Well, the, we can say the wise virgins here, they had something that the foolish virgins didn't have. This is what distinguished them. This is what distinguished one from the other, even though externally they are uh, similar. The, the one had extra, something extra, which the other people didn't have. And friends, there are only two kinds of people in the world. There are only two kinds of people here, the converted and the unconverted person the natural person and the spiritual person. Which one am I? There are only those who have repented of their sins and those who haven't repented of their sins. Those who have trusted in Christ and those who haven't trusted in Christ. Those whose lives have been transformed by Christ and those who haven't. Which one are we? Conversion, friends, is the difference that is mentioned here. The one great distinguishing factor between John and Jill is that John is converted and Jill is not. John has a relationship with God that is true. Jill doesn't have these things. John is converted and has spiritual life. To be converted, friends, means to have spiritual life, to have a relationship with God, to be in contact with Him, in communion with Him, to know your sins are forgiven because you are trusting in Christ and your heart has changed before you didn't love God, but now you do. Before you didn't serve Him, now you do. Before your life was for yourself, but now it's for Christ. That's what conversion 
does to a person. He doesn't make person, a person a churchgoer only. He doesn't make person a religious and externally uh, a, 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 a religious person. He changes the heart and makes a person, we could say, a lover of Christ, a lover of the Savior, and a desire to please Him and to serve Him. Well, this is the one great distinguishing thing between these bridegrooms. This is what the point Christ is getting at. This is what He is teaching His hearers and teaching us. How to prepare to meet our God. Conversion is the best preparation, the Lord says. Conversion will place you in a place, a state of readiness, so that whenever Christ comes, you're ready uh, to go and to meet Him. Conversion to Christ will enable you to stand on that day of judgment and to be accepted by God and not rejected by Him. Conversion will secure you a place in heaven forever. Forever. That's what it happens. That's what these wise virgins had. That's what believers have. Oh, friends, you look at a rich man. You look at a rich man and he has everything. He has money. His money, like water, he can, he can do whatever he likes. He can buy whatever he likes. Do you look at him and envy him because he's in such a rich uh, position? Riches won't help you to prepare to meet God. Do you look at enviously, perhaps, at the house that you're driving past? That beautiful house on that broad street is detached, is beautiful, it's got so many rooms, it's lovely, a street to live in, it's a safe place. Do you wish you had that? Well, you're having that house, friends, that won't help you and to prepare to meet God. Do you wish you had another person's oratory skills? Do you look at that? Do you wish you had another person's sharpness of mind? Do you wish you had another person's ear for music? or football skills, or something else a, a person has, and wish, I wish I had that. Oh, friends, none of these things, they're good in themselves, but none of these things can help you prepare for eternity if you had them. If you must be envious of something or somebody, look at the believer. Look at the believer, look at the true Christian, friends. He has something, she has something, that you do not have. She has that conversion. She has faith in Christ. She has peace with God. She has peace in her, in her heart. She has joy. Sometimes you don't understand them. You see their lives and you cannot make them out. And you know that they've got something that you do not have. They seem to handle life's troubles in a better way. There's not, there's, there's an, uh, pride seems to be missing from them. They're not boasting. They don't shout about their own achievements. There's a helpfulness to them. There's a kindness to them. You see that? That's the kind of things Christ has done in them because of conversion. That's the kind of things that you should desire for yourself. That's a good thing to have. A wish conversion for yourself. But uh, moving on, look what happens while they're waiting. The bridegroom took his time. He tarried. And they all fell asleep 
uh, all slumbered and slept, but we won't blame them uh, for that. It was a long day, it was a long wait. But then at midnight, the, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. The lamps that had been burning had gone out, and there wasn't enough uh, for, for them. Up to this point, well, they all the virgins appeared the same. But now, now it becomes evident who is who, who are wise and who are the foolish, who are ready to meet the bridegroom and who are un unprepared. At the sound of the cry, behold, the bridegroom cometh. Then it was made evident uh, who were wise and who were foolish. Well, so will it be, friends, at the end of time. These foolish virgins were caught by surprise while the wise were ready. And it will be the same when the Lord Jesus returns. It will be plain and evident then, or if death comes to us uh, before then, it will be plain and evident then whether we will live wisely or foolishly. Which group do I fall into? If in this life, if in this life I've in my heart trusted in the Savior, if I've trusted in Christ, then at that time I will be recognized as a wise man in Christ. But if I've put off the matters of my soul, if I've said the world is more important to me than that, if I've made the world my, my joy and my hope, if I refuse the constant calls of God to get right with Him, then I'll be, I'll, it will be shown on that day to my everlasting shame that I was a fool. I was a fool to think and to act in this kind of a way. Oh, friends, this is the great surprise that came to these foolish virgins. You know, we do not, even before this, this day, before our, the Lord's coming or before uh, the day of our death, the Lord also gives us uh, other indications in life to help us realize that something is missing, that we need conversion. We often have troubles in life. It may be a sickness comes into our life, uh, or maybe uh, the loss of employment, maybe we are uh, we are put, put, uh, maybe we lose uh, our jobs and uh, it startles us and we don't know how to manage uh, these things. Maybe there's a, a death in the family and somebody that we love is, is taken away and we say it's, it's too much for us. It's too grievous for me. I cannot bear these things. Oh, friends, that's an indication that something is also missing in your life, that, you need, that you're not ready to meet God. Oh, because if you know the Lord, a Christian, well, he also feels the pain of these things. Uh, he also feels, he's not a stoic, he feels the pain of the loss of a loved one. He feels it, uh, yes, when, if, he's, uh, if he loses his job or he's, if he's sick, he feels these things, but he's not overcome by them. He prays, he says, the Lord is my help, the Lord is my strength even in trouble, the Lord will help me. The Lord will give me grace. The Lord will be my support. He knows these things in his heart. 
and you see it in his life and in the way that he handles the situation. He has a handle on God, and that helps him. But the unbeliever, he doesn't have these things. So all these little things are voices that the Lord is saying, you're not ready to meet God if we find we are so overwhelmed by them. But let's, uh, let's continue. It seems now very unkind of these wise virgins when the foolish say to them, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, not so, lest it, there be not enough for us and you. Go ye rather to them and sell and buy for yourselves. Well, that's not very Christian, is it? That's not very Christian of them to say that. Go and buy for yourselves. We're not going to share with you our oil. But if they had shared it, they wouldn't have had enough for their own lamps or to go all the way back home to the bridegroom's house. Their lamps would have gone out uh, at that point, or at some way down, or down the line. But the, the message here is conversion is a personal thing. Conversion, friends, belongs to one person alone. It cannot be shared. Conversion is not transferable from one person to another. You know this. You buy a plane ticket, and usually the conditions on that plane ticket are non-refundable and non-transferable. You cannot change it, and they're very strict about this. The airlines usually have a very strict no-name-change policy. And the Lord is very strict about conversion. It can only be, be an individual person. You cannot, there's a strict no-name-change policy with the Lord. You have to get it for yourself. You have to get it from the Lord. If you get a driving license, well, it's only for you. It only belongs to you. You, you can only show the policeman your driving license. You can't show him somebody else's. You cannot lend your driving license to another person, no matter how hard they may plead for it. Conversion, friends, is like that. It's not transferable from one to another. Each one must have their own experience. Each one must come to the Lord for themselves. Each one must bow their knee to Him and say, Lord, I am an awful sinner. But you are a great saviour. Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, you died on Calvary's cross to take away sins. You, oh Lord, I believe you died for me. I believe in these things. I believe that you, you came into this world to save sinners. Lord, I trust in you. Lord, I've been such a rebel. I've lived for myself, but no longer in this way do I want to live. I don't want to live for my sins anymore. Give me power to ch over them. I want to live for you. I want to live for your glory. This is what he says. Oh Lord, help me in these things. Each one of us must have a personal faith in Christ. A mother's faith cannot save her children, even though she may want to pass it on. A wife's faith cannot uh, uh, save her husband. It cannot be shared. It must be. It only belongs to individuals. Do you have it, friends? Do you have conversion? Do you have spiritual life? If you haven't, you must go to Christ uh, for it. But look, uh, look at the desperation with which these 
foolish virgins. They went out to buy the oil, but it was midnight. <laughs> or most likely all the shops are closed at midnight. Where could they buy uh, oil at that time? And while they were away, the bridegroom came. Verse 10, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. And then they came afterwards, those foolish virgins, Lord, Lord, open to us, they, they said. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. That's a solemn warning, friends, for us from Christ. The door was shut. The door was shut. The five foolish virgins, they couldn't gain entry. <laughs> if it was us who had the charge of the door, we would have probably opened the doors. Oh, it's okay. You can come in. doesn't matter if you... You don't have the oil. It doesn't matter if you're late. It's all right. You just come in. But not with the Lord here. He's giving us a, impressing it upon us. It's a certain time. There's a certain opportunity that is given to men and women to repent and be converted. And that, op that time is not forever. That time will soon run out. The door, there's a, a real possibility that the door is going to be shut. It's definite, friends. It will happen. You see, friends, once the Lord Jesus returns, that's it. That's it. That's it. Opportunities are all gone. That's the time when God withdraws the offer of salvation on a permanent basis. It's now it's offered freely to all. But when the Lord comes, it's, it's gone. It's withdrawn. The chance to have all our sins forgiven. The chance to be accepted with God. The chance to be transformed, to have a new heart. The chance to obtain entry into heaven, into those spiritual blessings and no longer available to us. The door is firmly shut and the Lord himself will not open it again and give us a second chance. That's why it's so important while we are alive, while we have uh, our minds and our, our health and while we are thinking about these things and the Lord is speaking to us that we turn to Him. The door is shut. If you are left in an unconverted state, oh friends, you'll be left on the outside. You would be confined to hell. But if you are converted, if you are the Lord's, if you know and love Him, You'll be on the other side of that door. You'll be shut in with the Lord. You'll be able to enjoy the blessings and the happy things that He has prepared in heaven for all those who trust in Him. You'll be in heaven yourself. You'll be a partaker of eternal bliss, eternal happiness, indescribable happiness. You'll be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ forever. And no one will kick you out, rejoicing in the things that He has prepared for His people. Friends, conversion, if I could impress it upon you again, is the best way to prepare, the only way to prepare to meet God. It's the one must have in life. Other things are secondary. This must be at the top of your wish list. Lord, I want conversion. I need a new heart. Go to Christ, friends. Humble yourself before Him. Ask Him for this blessing. 
Cry earnestly for it. Plead with him. Don't, get, don't stop crying to him until he grants your request. Don't, don't uh, wait uh, and give up easily. But friends, carry on until uh, he changes you. Remove, repent of every sin that you can think of that may be a hindrance. Turn away from these things. Trust only in him and ask him to bless you. And he will. And then whenever he comes, whatever you're doing, you'll be ready. Ready to be taken to be with the Lord forever. This is how to prepare friends to meet our God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we ask again that you would help us and bless us uh, with uh, this uh, conversion experience that we need. Oh Lord, grant unto us a new heart and a new life. Grant to us, oh Lord, that readiness that we may not be caught unawares, they may not take us by surprise, and we may be ushered into a place that we do not wish to be in, but oh, that we may be found Lord, ready and waiting, and that we may be those who are brought into your kingdom and into life and life eternal. Hear our prayer. Bless us, each one. We ask in our Saviour's name. Amen. Let's uh, close by singing our final hymn, which is number 388. Thou God of glorious majesty. 388.